And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Naz, I don't know what film you were watching, but it wasn't the same film I saw. I'm all the man you need, bro. Yeah, I was, I was pretty shocked and appalled. Alright, so I'll bring the up tip. It wasn't a very good movie. I laughed at it more than I laughed at The Possession. <laughs> good evening and welcome to Is It a Bicycle? Season 10, Episode 1. Um, I'm your host this evening, Shona. I love Canada, O'Flaherty. Um, beside me, I have a man... Mike McDonough, and because I don't have anything funny to say, we'll start with facts. Uh, Mike, Mike is bitter. Oh, you can oh. make your own joke about it. Uh, to my you know it's true, Mike. <laughs> I'm not sure I like this palace coup that's going on here. No, no, no I'm going to reserve judgment for one moment. <laughs> Where I lack humor, I I have statement. Uh, on my other side, we have Sean Leonard, who is Mark's brother and very tall. Welcome, Sean. So far, this is fine. <laughs> it's factual, very factual. We're, like also, we're also joined by Mark Leonard, who is Sean's brother, and uh, knows a lot about MMA and how to hurt people, but not he will tall. smile at you and make you not feel <laughs> threatened by that violence. Welcome, Mark. Unless I'm hurting people with my words. Mm. <laughs> and those, that shit hurts. Mm. It's... We, all, we all know it. We're just fresh off the bikies <laughs> and barely friends after the experience. That's true. How did, yeah. I, how did everyone feel after this year's bikies? Well, I felt robbed as usual, you know. Well, after I attempted to poison you with sesame seeds. <laughs> and that accidentally job, got posted <laughs> in our podcast. So you could all listen to me poisoning Mike with uh, the only food he's allergic to. <laughs> well, there's, there's a, rare, a rare cut of the bikies which still has a segment where Mike asks Shona, is there sesame seed on the sesame prawn cracker toast I've just eaten? And she goes, yeah, why? Are you allergic? And he goes, yeah, I might die. Um, but if you picked up the bikies a little bit later in the holiday, then that has been taken out. Oh, okay. So, so if you have it, put it on a CD and you could sell it for lots of money on eBay to probably nobody. We, we might buy it. Well, the had Mike not survived, yeah. however, you could have sold it to the police. That shit would have been useful. <laughs> Tens of dollars. Yeah, yeah, you got to hear us all be mildly concerned about Mike's health. Yeah, I, I was quite touched. It was, it was a few tears shed. You know. Eh. All right. So, death escapement aside, how did everyone feel about the bikies this year? We all came out a little scratched and bruised, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, closer comrades for it. I think there was a certain maturity about it this year. You know. Was there? Yeah. I think Mark kept us all in line very well. Well yeah. done, Mark. We're all strikingly sober during it as well, which never hurts. Yeah. I was going to say that's the problem. <laughs> maybe, maybe, Mike. Maybe there was a, a certain creative flair lacking yeah. due to the lack of alcohol. Yeah. So um, we also got to meet Shona's sister afterwards. Oh, that's right. We did. Which yes. was weird. We had an like, extra dose of Canadiana. Yeah, because Shona's sister is really nice. And it was strange that she's related to Shona, you know. It was... It was that strange disconnect, like when when we first met Sean, and we realized he was so much nicer than Mark. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. Those were a golden few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna catch on. This whole Sean is not a nice person thing. No one's gonna buy it, Mike. No one will believe you. Hey, anybody no who listens to the best of season seven knows your your secrets <laughs> out. <laughs> that was a whole lot of Canadiana bitterness <laughs> consolidated. Yeah. Canadiana, a phrase first first coined. When Princess Diana visited Toronto. <laughs> so, I bought a new TV. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> something, something that brings me, fills me with joy, actually. Fills me with mm-hmm. joy. So I had the TV and uh, I'm not exactly the most capable handyman in the world. Mm-hmm. So I'd be the first to admit that where it was resting wasn't the most stable perch oh, in the no. world. Oh, right? no. Oh, but no. it survived a whole load of misadventures with me walking around and trying to find the power button when plainly you should be using a remote in these newfangled TVs. <laughs> and uh, my dog, Neo, running up and jumping up on the table to bark at TV dogs because they're the only dogs he will try and protect me from. <laughs> um, but I survived all that, never moved. Until, that is, a broadband technician arrived to upgrade me to fibre. Uh-oh. So I let him in. I pulled the TV out because I knew the, the point he needed to access was behind it. Pulled it out of the way. Made sure there was space for him. And then I was in the middle of cooking breakfast. So I w- w- waited to see him start. And I saw that he just hand on top of the TV. And I said, well, actually, that's good because that'll hold it steady. By the time I got out to the kitchen, there was a crash. <laughs> and I arrived back in to find my new TV. It's like eight days old. Oh. Destroyed. Oh. So... Your man had immediately gone into fight or flight mode while I turned my manager. I bring my manager. And uh, I was just looking at it. And he goes, oh, that's not good. He said. And I went, do you think? <laughs> there are now fragments of a picture where there used to be a 1080p image. It's definitely not good. So he runs out, rings his manager. His manager comes in. I immediately start talking to him in manager terms till I realize he's not the same kind of manager than I that I am. He's... He's um, just a guy, basically. <laughs> right. And he uses regular English, unlike made-up English, like I do. <laughs> yeah. You do in a few, so, like, KPIs and exactly. going forward. <laughs> so, so, like, well, I just straight away was like, what, what's the process here? What's the escalation points? Because we need to get this sorted. Like, mm-hmm. And he was kind of looking at me going, "I was it hanging up? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I basically said, look, at, guys, here's what's happening. I'm buying a new TV today. I'm getting the receipts to you and you're paying for it. And that's all there is to it. Like, yeah. And then they went, they went in this laborious process of taking pictures. It was like something out of CSI cyber, like mm-hmm. taking pictures of everything. The only thing they didn't take a picture of was me, which I think was a missed trick, to be honest. Mm. But, uh, were you taking off your shirt even as they spoke? Like, <laughs> as soon as the camera came out, like, I was zipping, up, zipping down my zippy. But, um, yeah, so I went and I bought a new TV and I'll uh, keep you guys posted on the battle between me and the alleged mm. experts in broadband fitting who can't wow. manage to not break a TV while they do it. Mm. Were they actually making sounds like they may not replace your television? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Are you mm-hmm. serious? Yeah, so the first guy was very apologetic because, like, mm-hmm. you know, the TV didn't jump off the table it was on. Yeah. Like I said, it was unstable, but it's mm-hmm. it's not going to fall on its own. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a distinct lack of poltergeist in this house. It was one of the first things we checked. I've seen all the amateurs, so I, I know the procedure. If a ghostly voice tells you to get out, that's what you do. You don't buy the house. Yes. Um, so he knew he was in the wrong, but he was trying to, he was trying to come up with things like, well, maybe my jacket touched it. And I said, right. Maybe, maybe that's what happened. Still fucking you. <laughs> um, so then his manager arrived and he was all, well, we have to fill out the forms and send it off and the risk assessment group will come back to us. And I went, right, but they're going to come back saying they're going to fix the TV. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then his manager was on vacation and he, this was New Year's Eve. 
And he said, look, I've been on to him as well and he's going to ring you tomorrow. And I said, he is, yeah. He's going to ring me New Year's Day. I'd say he's going to bounce out of bed at nine o'clock in the morning, get on the phone going, I must ring that guy I don't know yeah. on a bank holiday and ring him. He's not going to ring me tomorrow. Like. So um, I went down and I, I bought another TV, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, I now have one TV plus a variant of a TV that doesn't show pictures. Mm. And uh, as anyway... The case continues. I'll mm. keep you all posted. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's a shit New Year's Eve, though. That sounds yeah. pretty shitty. Oh. Um, Sean, Sean, how was your Christmas? It was grand. I actually uh, got a TV as a present. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> was it broken when you got it? No, that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> I just bought a TV. It's, it's going very well so far. I put, I I put it somewhere safe. <laughs> that's very irresponsible of you. I mean, what can I say? Things have been going great. I've missed mm-hmm. you guys. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, everything's been going very well. It's so mm-hmm. nice to have you in the Is It a Bicycle Studios for the second time. I know. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that my retinal scan would actually let me in. I doubt mm-hmm. he would have updated it, but I, I appreciate it. Yeah, well, well, we wanted to make we'll sure. We pulled some strings for you. Yeah. 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 I appreciate that, guys. <laughs> it makes me well up deep inside <laughs> and on the surface. I was beginning to think you might have been a robot, but then I saw you with the bikeys, and I'm like, this might be Sean Leonard, but then... Mm. I'm seeing you tonight. And I was like, no, he's definitely a person. There you go. There's definitely not multiples Poor of me. Shizzle. I am not a life model decoy. Life <laughs> model decoy. Well, I, I don't know. Synthetic skin is pretty good these days. You don't know anything about synthetic have, have skin. Have you seen Ex Don't buy stock. <laughs> I have seen Ex Machina. I think it's a great documentary. I think it's a great film. <laughs> Fictional film. See, you've had a good Christmas then. Yeah, things have been going very well. I got to see the family back in Ireland, uh, and I have seen almost enough of them. Mm-hmm. Getting ready to get on the flight in a few days. <laughs> that is the thing about Christmas, right? There's um there's a familyometer mm. that starts to tick mm. upward. Mm. And when it gets into the red, it's time to go back to wherever you came yeah. from. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Mark. I loved all of the time I spent with all of my family. <laughs> there's a tipping point. Just the tipping point. Shona, there's a there's a different, much shorter scale called the in law ometer. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, it being the Christmas holidays, I presume everybody sat around on their arse and watched television like I I, did. I actually went to the cinema show, didn't I? On Christmas Day? rare gold nugget of somebody with a young baby. Tell me. I went to the cinema at midnight in the middle of the week on the last week before my Christmas vacation began Mm. to watch Star Wars. (gasps) The Force Awakens. Mm. Which is probably what my baby was doing at that very moment, but I wasn't yeah. in the house, so plainly couldn't do anything about it. And and what did you think? Oh, um, will we? Yes. You know, this now? Yeah, gonna, yeah. yeah, let's do this. What did you think? Spoilers. You know, I, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, so everyone listening at home that hasn't seen it yet, gripping their seats with white knuckles, we're not going to spoil anything here. That's Aww. that's behind us now. We only spoil in the bikies, folks. So we're back to a non-spoiler podcast. It's our most anyway, I really enjoyed it. I had I did something very similar for the Phantom Menace. I saw that quite early when it came out, mm-hmm. and I was there with a couple of really stalwart Star Wars fans like myself. And as as the film started to move forward, in the Phantom Menace, I'm talking about now, we realized that we couldn't look at each other because if we did, we'd be admitting that this was terrible. <laughs> So we, we kind of just stared at the screen in the hopes it was going to improve and it would be the Star Wars film that we actually wanted. But uh, it seems like history did not repeat itself, mm-hmm. for me anyway, and I think that this is the Star Wars film that I wanted. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's pretty long. It's not a short mm-hmm. film, but the time flew by 
I had two wishes for this film, and that was that there would be decent character development and an attempt at a story. And it wouldn't mm. just be something aimed squarely at the children. Yeah. And while there's plenty there to keep children entertained, I think they did make a good attempt at having adult interactions and a decent story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought the guy from Attack the Block, whose name I'll never remember, but maybe you can furnish was it. Was it John Boyega who played Finn? Yeah, he's really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he's really good. I really, really enjoyed him. I, I just wanted to jump in very quickly. John Boyega has, for the entire 15 fucking months or whatever, uh-huh. of the Star Wars press tour, has had a joke where he says that Harrison Ford is his best friend. <laughs> and he keeps saying that to Harrison Ford. Like, and he keeps going, look, if everything goes AWOL, Harrison, you let me stay on your couch, don't, won't you? And Harrison Ford keeps going, I barely know you. <laughs> and he's like, oh, Harrison, we're best friends. And he said it at every interview I've seen him do. Brilliant. John nice. Yeah. Actually, I saw, him on, I, I saw him on Graham Norton, actually. He was, he's a very entertaining character. I must look that yeah. up. Um, yeah, for a young guy, he's, he's very composed, but funny as fuck. You, you liked him, Mark, in the movie anyway. Yeah. yeah, I thought he was very good. Just in a point of geeky interest, um, in the books, the Star Wars extended universe that they said are no longer canon, mm-hmm. Luke Skywalker's son in the books is called Ben. No. Just saying. Oh. Processing. Just throwing it out there. Cat among the yeah. pigeons. I'm trying out processing that. And like, if there was a Ben in this movie, and yeah. there was a Ben in the book, what could that possibly mean? It could just mean that they're trying to annoy me further because I read all of those Star Wars books, like all of them. I love them. <laughs> Thinking that I'm, I was like, when the new film comes out, I'm going to be sitting there going like, well, that guy is actually related to blah, 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 blah because of the book that I read many years ago. And then they just, the first thing they said when the property switched into Disney's hands was, well, oh, that, no, we're not doing that. Those, those books don't matter now. You can forget about it. Pimps just jokes, baby. Pimps <laughs> <laughs> just jokes. But yeah, well, what did everyone else think of it? I, went to go see this over the Christmas holidays as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have to, I think it was like the day that I arrived to my in-laws, I was like, here's my baby, I'm going to the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I went and did my um, my ritual for every time I expect a big movie, you know, I get a big bag of popcorn, although this time it was a big bag of M&M's, because mm-hmm. I was like, chocolate, it's Christmas, hello. Um, and I know, I've said before, I don't know anything about Star Wars, because I've had to watch it in French, like every year of high school. So I don't really know anything about the originals uh, beyond the basics. And this was so good. To somebody who knows, like, nothing except for the basics, I burst into tears, like, way too much in this movie. I just thought it was full of emotionality and uh, great acting and storytelling. And it was just, the movie was over and I just sat there being like, oh, my God, I feel like I've just felt the thing that people feel about Star Wars. The Force. (laughs) I felt the Force awaken. I felt the Force awaken. That's it, Mike. Sean, what did you think of it? So back in 2009, J.J. Abrams was given the difficult task of making a new Star Trek film. And what he did with that was he managed to make a film that was a sequel, a reboot for a modern contemporary audience, and a remix of all of the parts of Star Trek that everybody knew about and that had osmosed uh, through to the general populace uh, and to the fans themselves. Star Wars The Force Awakens is also a sequel and a remix. Mm-hmm. I think it's an incredibly fun movie. And I think that he has laid the table. Much mm-hmm. as Star Wars A New Hope did for the masterpiece that is The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. I believe 
that the pieces that have been put in place, um, such as the bromances, mm-hmm. uh, the the tragedies and the adventure, um, all the characters that have been put on the board, and the actors who have been cast, I think, brilliantly well. Uh, really good Isaacs, casting, yeah. John Boyega and uh, Daisy Ridley. Name. Say again, Daisy Ridley. Yes, thank you, Daisy Ridley. And the guy, the guy playing Han Solo was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, John Boyega's <laughs> friend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He he's pretty good. Um, and he's been pretty bad in a lot of things recently. Oscar Isaac. And, no, no, no. No. Harrison. Oh, I Harrison. don't know who we're talking and, about. Uh, and Adam Driver. Uh, we just lost five hundred geek points, Jonas. And Adam Driver did a great job as well. So I think that the table is set for episode eight to be a truly great mm-hmm. film. Whereas I think that this was just a good fun film. We should have started with you, because that's the wet blanket, and then Mark and I could have gone on to be excited about this. Oh, I, mean, excited. I wasn't unreserved. I, I was, I was kind of letting, letting you guys add it there for a second. My only, and it's a very mild concern, is that the story beats in this film map pretty well to A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And they need to distance themselves now when they go into the next film. It needs to not parallel an Empire Strikes Back. Um, like you said, Sean, they have, uh, you know, a tremendous, jumping off point where they can do, they can tell really good stories, but they need to be new. It's fine to pay homage. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I want to be a, be sitting beside someone that hasn't seen the old films and nudge them to say, well, what they're actually referring to there is in the Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. I had but, someone uh, in the cinema doing that for me, by the way. Yeah. You need someone like that so they can feel important that <laughs> all of a sudden the geeky things they've done in their life is paying off at yeah. last. Something. You know, so back when I didn't have a girlfriend or any hope of one, I watched this film many times and I can now fill you with my knowledge. But, and um, I can be like, I know the word for Jabba the Hutt in French. <laughs> it's a mutual eat. exchange of information. That's my only mild criticism anyway of the film. Is that it would worry me a little bit. They need to branch off now and, and forge a new, a new, a new trilogy and a new, a new story arc. Well, I think we're all agreed then that we look forward to seeing the next one. And I'm going to see the current one again. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing it's, that too. Now that there's no pressure, it's going to be a lot of fun. Was it just was it just me or did nobody else have a problem with the antagonist side of this movie? Everyone was really thinking, oh, this is going to be fucking worst. It's going to be boring. It's the Phantom Menace. It's yeah. the worst parts of the prequels all over again. Yeah. And then they went, oh, actually, that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I what it. are you talking about? I'm talking about. Because there are always two. The baddies. Yeah. The baddies aren't great baddies. Uh... One of them, in fact, is a bit crap. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> like we know that there are two from the trailers yeah. well, because it, of lore they have they have different aspects of crapness oh you don't like either one, well one is kind of crap at being a bad guy just because he's a bit crap uh-huh. and the other one is crap because he kind of looks silly yeah so the emperor archetype is very badly cast hmm. yeah that was dumb yeah. they made yeah, a dumb th- decision <laughs> That's foolish. They should they should reverse that somehow. Smoke, I believe is the name of them. They could they could yeah. very easily reverse that because you know what's a good idea when you're a big bad guy that all of the good guys want to yeah. kill. That whenever you have a hologram mm-hmm. phone call, yeah. you don't send them a picture of what you actually look like. Yeah, very exactly. Easy yeah. to change that. <laughs> and I think what you're referring to is Adam Driver. Is if you saw him on the street, you would think, look at that puny runt. Yeah, and it's very hard to be intimidated by him. Mm-hmm. And that's an issue. Yeah. And I think his character from Girls kind of, I don't know, all the acting he's done so far in which I've loathed him mm-hmm. really kind of overshadows the character he's playing here. And I, I think he played it quite well. Mm-hmm. And after a while, I got into it. But mm. 
it it was a bit of a stepping stone watching him. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, and also everyone should find uh, at Kylo Ren on Twitter because oh my god, hilarious. Yeah. Uh, no, it's they show how he's like a super uh, men's rights activist. Oh, okay, goodness. Ren's rights activist. Yeah. There's an amazing Twitter. Anyway, there's a Twitter account that's like emo. Emo Color Ren. That's yes. what I'm talking about. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. But um, maybe because I've seen you retweeting it. That's I, what it I was. Started following <laughs> right. okay. So um, so I think his character is, and I think one of the aims of the film is to reinterpret and almost rebrand the prequels trilogies. Okay. So one of the things people really mm-hmm. hated about um the prequels was how Darth Vader was Anakin Skywalker, who was mm-hmm. really just a whiny. Fuck. Yeah. And who just like whines a lot until he actually does some serious shit in the last, mm-hmm. in the Revenge of the Sith. Okay. I think that it was very, very clever mm-hmm. to show how disillusioned, mm-hmm. privileged people <laughs> right. can be turned to evil ends by mm-hmm. good manipulators okay. really handily. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why I like Kylo Ren. Like, if mm-hmm. you actually look at the bad guys mm-hmm. in, let's say, America right now, mm-hmm. where this movie is definitely targeted a lot. Yeah. They look like that. That's who they are, and they're the problem. Like they're the ones who get given weapons <laughs> yeah. and then do tremendous damage. Yeah. But there's there's just a distinct lack of threat. I thought. I don't you think know? so. Oh, you, like first half of the movie, I grant you, I thought, oh, badass. Mm. And then they go and deconstruct that whole work that they've done in the first half of the movie. Mm. Um, yeah. And that that just left me kind of thinking, mm. you know, I I was I was harking back to to Vader, you know, blasting in blasting in the senator's ship, yeah, and, and just marching through the imperial this, march, yeah, yeah, with this awesome sense of menace about, it. yeah, yeah. But they are going a different way, and mm-hmm. like, so I I felt the same as you, Mike, like because I I never thought, and okay, fair enough, I was younger when I first saw, it, but I never thought I would take Darth Vader in a fight, you know. <laughs> but I would have Adam Driver all day long. Right? Yeah. Even even with dark side powers, I'm pretty yeah. sure I'd hammer him. <laughs> but they're going a different direction, and that's not bad. Though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, so I, I noticed that as well, but I, I didn't bring it up as a problem because mm-hmm. I want to give them time. He, he's going to have a character arc of his own, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And one of the reasons that we hated him in Girls, Shona, is mm-hmm. because he's a really good actor, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like the season two of Girls is is one of like that that the final episode especially is one of the yeah. best uh, TV episodes around. Mm-hmm. I think they they fell to disarray afterwards, but you know, and he was a huge part of that. So yeah. I think I think he has the acting chops. If mm-hmm. if they write well enough, well, I think he can deliver. I think we saw him deliver in in this Star Wars. I mean. Obviously, without getting into any kind of details or any kind of spoilers, I think we really see some acting chops on him that I was emotionally affected by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I like him. He's a good actor. Yes. Uh, my prediction is between this movie and the next movie, hmm. they're going to A, file, file his teeth into points, <laughs> and B, get him working out with the Hodge twins. And he's going to be like 25 kilos heavier in the next movie. <laughs> His training will advance. Yeah. I kind of hope they don't do that. You know, I hope yeah. that they write it in such a way that he's he becomes scary. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like Johnny Depp mm. in um, when he was playing Whitey Bulger. Yeah, Black Mass. Thanks, Sean. I couldn't think of the name, but he's like. I would have Johnny Depp in a fight as well, but I wouldn't mess with Whitey Bulger. Like, yeah. <laughs> do you know, so Menace. hope, yeah. like, think back to 
episode three, Revenge of the Sith, and how terribly they did that character transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. this is them doing it better, doing it right. Okay. I, I agree. And also, a lightsaber is, in theory, very light mm-hmm. laser sword. You don't it have is. to be the biggest guy in the world. That's true. No. You just no. need to be strong in the Force, which to me was never needed to be represented physically. Well, you don't just need to be strong in the Force. You need to be badass mentally. I guess. And at present, he's she's kind of lacking. Well, all he needs is mm. either. He mm. could have all, but he only mm. need, really needs a lot of fear. Mm. Mm-hmm. anger hate yeah but that's like you know we know yeah. that because we know what the dark side is but mm-hmm. he's playing the antagonist in the film who we're mm-hmm. supposed to be we presume we're supposed to be scared of him because we're scared of Vader you know I think I think that's that's where okay. Mike's coming from right yeah. I, but just the people he's up against I do mm-hmm. think he has a shot you know what I mean like I, I've never felt an, Im, an imbalance in the fights but that's the thing he's up against untrained people yeah, yeah. that's fine like even even in in the original trilogy, like Luke had like a a weekend seminar in lightsaber one hundred and one before he faced Vader. In. <laughs> yeah. All right, I, I think I think before we descend into our uh, our fighting our corners over the new Star Wars film, we might move on to other viewing okay. over the Christmas okay. holidays. Yeah. Um, did anyone else watch anything? I didn't watch much, but I did a lot of reading. Well, so this we'll isn't a reading podcast. The TV. So yeah, did anybody yeah. else see anything interesting? Yeah. But what I read was oh my useful. god, oh my god, Mike! No stopping him. <laughs> some some very kind person who should remain nameless got me Isaac Asimov's Foundation trilogy, <gasps> which is something I've meant to read for <gasps> ever. Okay, now Laws I'm interested robotics. in this discussion. Never got around to it. Mm-mm-mm. That's a fucking great book. Yeah, it's sixty years old, but go and read it. He knows a yeah. shit, man. Yeah, um, I Robot's a great movie. It is. And a great TV show. Mm. <laughs> That's homage to the bikies right there. Yeah. So if you're out there looking for something to read and you think the last 40 years of sci-fi sucked, go back further. It's there waiting for you. Yeah, if you are looking for something to read, you've probably stumbled on this podcast by accident. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so sorry, but we helped you out by accident. Anybody watch Condit versus Lawler at the weekend? UFC? Nah, mm. man. No. No, I missed it. Sorry. There was an Irish guy on the card, Joe Duffy, who was supposed to headline the UFC um, the Fight Night Dublin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joe Duffy has the um, prestigious accolade of being the last man to beat Conor McGregor. He beat him by submission in, I think, 34 seconds or something when they faced each other in Cage Warriors. <laughs> I thought you were going to say sixth class. but <laughs> <laughs> No, so he was fighting Dustin Poirier, who McGregor knocked out in the first round. Mm-hmm. And he got hammered round the place by Poirier. So I, I feel really – well, he was winning for a minute and a half of the first round, and I really thought he'd a shot, and then just things went very much awry. Right. He did have a triangle secured in the dying seconds of the third round, mm-hmm. but it was it was too late. It was that the clacker for the 10 second had already gone mm. when uh, he locked that on, so it was never going to be enough. And he'd lost three rounds fairly – well, at least two rounds. Mm. Some judges might have shaded him the first, but mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think so. But the problem is, right, is – the lay people who watch the UFC mm-hmm. now think that he's no good because they're like, should McGregor beat that Poirier lad in no time? <laughs> he must be useless. Whereas that is not the case because Poirier is really good. He's, mm-hmm. he's top 15 and he, he, he's on the way up. Um, and being beaten by a really good fighter doesn't mean you're poor. It just means like, you know, there's probably like 14 people in the world better than you. And that's not a bad thing. 
14 people. That's a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I wanted to give a shout out to Joe Duffy because I know he'll be back. He's a, he's a great fighter. Um, and it's, it's just a pity it didn't go his way. So 12 Monkeys was mentioned a lot in the po- podcast episode of The Bikies. Oh, it was, wasn't it? And I was like, you know, I watched a couple episodes of that. Mm. I might have to go watch it all because of yeah. the recommendations that uh, uh-huh. my peers have given. Yeah. I devoured it. Mm-hmm. Just ate it up. It's very good sci-fi. And mm-hmm. here is the main thing, right? Mm-hmm. The plotting is so good that at least six, if not eight episodes of the thirteen feel like season finales mm-hmm. they keep doing that mm-hmm. and, oh, I, yeah. and I understand <laughs> that with time travel you get a, a couple of advantages that a show's yeah. don't but they really aren't messing around with that too yeah. much mm-hmm. like the, the plot of 12 monkeys is literally there is a virus that kills all of humanity there's a time machine in 2043 and one of the few immune people is going to be sent back to 2015 mm-hmm. to try and stop the virus ever getting out Oh, that sounds like a good premise. Mm. It's a it's a great premise. I thought Twelve Monkeys was based on the Brad Pitt movie. It, it was. Is. Oh, it's and they carry a lot of the same themes. Oh. Like he tries to infiltrate like an insane asylum. There's what it really came down to, which I never expected was there are people in this future who realize that what they have in their lives is worth saving mm-hmm. and rewriting the present via rewriting the past means losing everything you've got. Yep. And then there's people in the 2043 era who have already lost everything and need it oh, to be wow. fixed. Okay. So it really just comes down to love. It really comes down to what are you willing to lose and what are you willing to do to keep what you love. Mm. So they manage to wind that around in so many ways that it's almost like it's not like they have episodes where it's like everyone everyone important might be about to die mm-hmm. and then some of them fucking might. Yeah. And then you're like, wait, how is the show ever going to keep going? How this is done, this is done, and then they push that further and they oh, keep going. Wow. It's very, very good sci-fi. Twelve Monkeys, I highly recommend. Well, I think me and Mike did exactly that on the bikies. Yeah, it's it's not like Sean to take our advice, though, is it? No, it really isn't. I'm I'm, I'm yeah. proud of you, Sean. So I hear there was a Sherlock Christmas special. There was indeed. Apparently so. There the Abominable a... Bride. I assume everybody watched it. I missed it. Sorry. <laughs> I yeah, I, I I watched it and mm-hmm. look, listen. Sometimes when I watch TV shows, I feel like I take on the characteristics or the ticks of some of the, the, the mechanisms. Right. Okay. Like I'll watch Aaron Sorkin and I'll start to be really fucking smart about politics and or money for like 15 minutes. <laughs> I watch Sherlock and I'm sorry, but I tried to, I tried to use induction. I tried to deduce mm-hmm. along with the gang. Yeah. How'd that work out for you? I, uh, I got it in 15 minutes. Did you really? really? Like I, yeah. I knew that there was a twist beyond the twist mm-hmm. beyond and I was just like, it's this. And I said it to the person yeah. next to me. Yeah. And I got like a shoulder pump yeah. after everything was real going, good yeah. job. Yeah. And I went, oh, thanks. Yeah. Wait, does that mean I'm good or it's bad? Oh, Hang no. on. Did and you we... not just get a punch in the chops? You fucking ruined the show, you no. bastard. <laughs> no, I was, I was just watching it with a friend of mine, Claire. I was up in Dublin and it was mm. like, you normally watch things together. Sometimes when there's a murder mystery, you try and guess what's going to happen. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was like that. But, but you got it. I did it. I can't believe you mm. got it. I don't. I still don't even know what happens. It was amazing. By the end of the episode, I don't know about like, spoilers. I still, I'm confused about what I should draw from this show. They they managed to do an episode that was a reimagining of a reimagining of Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes set in the 19th century as it originally was. Okay. And 
they managed to give you, and it, it also served as an entry into the show for people who had never watched before. Mm-hmm. And it drove the plot and the characters forward mm-hmm. for In the show day, sure of enough. modern day. Yeah. It was amazing. That was, mm-hmm. I thought that that was really amazingly done. That you're watching a show set way back in the past, but it's actually kind of about the present, mm-hmm. and then shit gets real, and you're like, what is happening? And the whole thing was a big apology for how sexist they are. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad that you brought that up, because I thought it was really um, smart the way that they kind of wove that um, feminist streak into the show, mm-hmm. kind of making jokes mm-hmm. in the historic version of Sherlock yeah, yeah, about, about how, how women are all silent is. and stuff. <laughs> Imagine if they got votes. <laughs> and, you didn't, and you didn't think it was pandering at all? No. Okay, Do just because at a certain point I went, you guys got a lot of shit for being not great about writing women, yeah. and now you're apologizing and yeah. using the BBC's budget to do it. Do you think so? Do you think the modern day version is sexist? Or doesn't write women very well? It doesn't include people. So if yeah. you were to look at Sherlock, it's London without any people of color. And yeah. the only people of color there are villains. Mm. Like they had an entire episode that was Yellow Peril. Yeah. Um. And then in season two, they introduced a woman character, mm-hmm. and the way that she's strong is highly debated mm-hmm. about whether or not that is tokenism or not. Right. Yeah. Like her battle mm-hmm. armor is her being a naked woman trying to get a guy mm-hmm. to be right. distracted, which is either right. her using her power or it's mm-hmm. just oh, you're the woman character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and they... then season three, they try and build more. Well, there's Molly. Women. You also e- have exactly. Molly. Right. They do have Mrs. Hudson who makes a very good cup of tea. <laughs> Yeah, sure. There you go. All right, let's move on. The conversation's always done when Mike has to ruin it. Shit all over a good show. I'm just saying it it doesn't do what elementary does, which is actually include people of every walk of life. As someone whose kind of radar is always out looking for, well, I notice, I think, when I feel insulted or ignored. I've never felt that about Sherlock before, but. Well, it's also very good. Like, maybe, I mean, maybe sometimes, that's what it is. genuinely, yeah. sometimes yeah. it goes away. Look at a cast photo for Sherlock and look at a cast photo for Elementary. Mm. It's really, really obvious. Spot the difference. Easiest game ever. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think it's interesting to, yeah. to check out. All right. Good stuff. Well, let's move on to the, the first of our television this week. Um, oh, yeah. We actually watched stuff, didn't we? Yeah. We, <laughs> we, things we, were supposed to We also to have things to review, although I think we could probably talk for several hours about all the TV we watched over Christmas. Are you kidding? Congratulations, Gary Anderson, for a second World Darts Championship. Oh, let's not talk about darts. It is, it is time <laughs> to move what's on. What's this darts thing? I was in the pub several times over Christmas, and there was darts on all the time. Yeah, and there it's was the world lots like. of people watching darts. Do you want me to explain it? Really when, when, did yeah. da- when did darts become a thing? No, no, I'm gonna ve- for my entire life. Let All me just right. very I'm quickly explain. In the corner. Just <laughs> wait. No, let me explain. For anyone listening at home no. who's also wondered about uh, the World Darts Championship, nobody has done that in the Alexander <laughs> Palace in London. I'm here's with you, why, Shona. <laughs> no, here's why it's the best sport to watch. Okay. Darts splits the screen. It shows you the board that they're throwing at, and it shows you the player throwing uh-huh. every three seconds. You get someone at the top of their field mm-hmm. take an action, mm. which so has hard. a consequence, and then you see their reaction. Okay. So it's literally concentration, action, consequence, mm. reaction. Okay. And it keeps happening just like that. So it's guess like a drug. Because it happens in soccer. People yeah. don't do shit a lot. 
in darts, <laughs> yeah. not only does it have the drunkest audience in the world who makes the most noise of anyone outside of the WWE, they have characters. Yeah. These guys who have no experience of yeah. attention and so have no uh -huh. idea what the fuck they're doing with their nicknames and yeah. their entrance music. You see a human being try not to crack under pressure. Uh, who cares? While throwing javelins. Except they're the javelins. size of like a fucking dick. <laughs> Micro right. javelins. Right. You Sean, might, you might want to poo-poo it, Shona, Sean. but I've already converted people this Christmas, and I'll convert more next. <laughs> Gary Anderson, great job. I'm looking forward to oh. see you next year. I think Sean just did a mic drop, but no one's paying attention because we're asleep. 190! <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to other television yeah. that people might be interested in watching. Um, first of our TV this week is F is for Family. Mike, do you want to tell us about it? This is uh, Bill Burr's new uh, uh, cartoony thing. Bill Burr comedian. It's his animated Netflix show. Yes, uh, all at once job. Um, and I, I believe Steve was talking about it recently, where mm -hmm. basically he was writing episodes and he was trying to get like two, three past the past the goal line, and they said, oh, no, just do the whole series and make it all together, make it all fit. And he was like. Oh, okay. I'm going to have to rewrite everything. <laughs> and uh, then he did. So this is the end result. And it is basically a dad, quite an angry dad, uh, with a family in 1973. Great year, by the way. And uh, <laughs> and uh, it's the story of the shenanigans in his little suburb that he lives in. 1973, the year of Mike's 18th birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So what you think? Did you like it? No, I fucking hated it. Oh, no. Yeah. No, Mike, no. Yeah, that's sorry. completely what we expected. <laughs> <laughs> Mike <laughs> hated something shocker. <laughs> and and it upset me because I really like Bill Burr. I love his stand-up. Mm. I, this... I can't believe that we're in episode one of the season and you've not liked something, I think. Where did that come out? First item to be reviewed yeah. of the new year. <laughs> 2K Sweet 16. Every listener is shocked. It was shite. <laughs> Hashtag series premiere. No, it was... Uh... What's the word? It's... Not good? More, it's more of the same. You know... Is it kind of along that... What's that grown-up cartoon company? Metronic. Adult Swim. Adult Swim. Yeah. I was thinking... Yeah. No, it's, it's kind uh, like, of Adult Swim-ish? No, not at all. You have, no. The, you have The Simpsons, you have Family Guy, you have American Dad, and now you have this. You have King of the Hill as well. All of them focus on a white dad living in the suburbs with a family of some sort of characters that he may or may not get on with. He's generally got, a, shall we say, not too enthusiastic relationship with his own circumstances. And they hope that by putting all these things in the pot, they might get some kind of a laugh along the line. Now, in and they so did. It was so funny. In some of them, they do. <laughs> in this one, I think that it it just fell flat in its face. It was. I just felt if he screams in my face one more time, I'm going to punch the TV and I'm going to send the TV to Mark and get a refund for <laughs> me. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? Mark, you liked it. Yeah, I did, you know. Or are you just what? trying to piss off Mike? Yeah. No, 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 I did like it. No, it's not the greatest comedy I've ever seen in my life, but when it came on, I reacted exactly like Mike. I went, oh, Jesus, here we go. A fucking stereotypical cartoon show. There's so many of them. But I think it's actually quite good. This It's set in, Mike, 73, was it? Mm-hmm. 
Set in 73, he's playing a PTSD dad after the Korean War. Um, they do really good character establishment of why he hates his current circumstance in the opening credits, yeah, which I thought was really great clever. opening credits. Sorry? No, I'm agreeing. It was great opening credits. Yeah, it was, it was really good. It was one of the best opening credits scene I've seen. I've ever seen in that kind of a show. Um, I'm really going to annoy Mike, but like, the family is a family, right? Which we have in all of these shows, mm-hmm. but they seemed a lot richer in character than we're used to in these. Mm-hmm. Like, none of them were that stereotypical. I didn't think. While like, being real. Yeah, like it's a cartoon, but they're 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 actually trying to tell a story. You know, obviously they use the boundaries of the the cartoon uh, medium. Mm-hmm. But they're still trying to tell a story like you would see in a in a drama, you know. It's it's it's, I and I did think it was funny to be honest. You were laughing out loud when you watched it. Sorry. Were you laughing out loud when you watched it? Yeah, I laughed a couple times. Yeah. Um. Also, the first episode features on a broken TV, which is a subject very close to my heart. (laughs) (laughs) It's true, isn't it? Me. I suppose it was quite original in that you know they didn't have a speaking part for a character that shouldn't be able to speak. Like a doge. Yeah, or an a lion. Yeah, I mean Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Did you see it, Sean? Oh I did. And what'd you think? F is for fantastic. <laughs> uh, so I agree with Mark. The opening credits is literally it just shows uh Bill Burr's character, the dad, through various stages of his life, and mm-hmm. it's life smacking him in the face. Yeah. Like it, it's him flying through this psychedelia seventies like uh mindscape. It goes from graduation. He gets hit with the draft letter. He's in the army. He mm-hmm. gets, and you know, he gets hit with a bottle. He has mm-hmm. a baby. He gets hit with, you know, marriage. It's right. like it just, you know, it all comes on him, and then it shows how he ended up on this spot. It kind of all just kind of happens. Oh, marriage and a baby. That's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, but it, it has its own set of struggles, you know. So, uh, I, I don't know. So the pilot takes a little bit to get revved and it has some kind of like fill in fill in jokes I feel at the start filler jokes but it, it does rev up towards the end as the machinations get a little bit more interesting um, and I really like that it's using the lens maybe in later episodes more than the pilot but it's using the lens of being in the 70s and having knowledge mm-hmm. of what happens after that to look back on the world mm-hmm. so there's this great thing with the TVs uh, where they show, they show how people in the seventies are starting to think that they've actually sorted out all the inequality issues. Yeah. <laughs> so like, there's this great bit where uh, there's this white TV host just going, and now we are here to talk about uh, civil rights. And there's like, yeah. and it zooms out, and there's three black people, and he goes, "I'm Mark Mark Rich," uh, and he goes, "So, uh, what do you people all think about getting the vote?" <laughs> I think it's I think it's just fine and dandy. You guys are you guys you guys are a okay. Uh, do the blacks vote? Is that something you guys do? <laughs> and it does like another one with women later on, and it's just and it's always Mark Markridge or whatever the guy's name is, right. this white dude. And it's like, what are you doing? Like with the women, he goes, oh, don't you all just look super hot? Uh, <laughs> like it knows exactly what it's doing in that line, okay, and I love okay. when it shows the arena. I love when it shows that, and it's not just a comedy. Yep. Like there are issues mm-hmm. being dealt with where mm-hmm. I had to stop watching it after mm-hmm. two or three episodes mm-hmm. to take a break yeah. because I was getting stressed. Yeah. It's too real. Like I was getting stressed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't like it that when he was at his job having to deal with his job. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not kidding. Like yeah. I was going, oh fuck, which means I was into it, right? You know. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of moments in it. Um, 
some of them just because holy shit what's gonna happen but yeah. the greatest moments <laughs> in it are when it just goes further than you expected it would yeah. like i don't know if steve said at this moment but at one point like he's talking to his kids <laughs> and he's like trying to discipline them and yeah. you like it's like starts off kind of like oh he's angry and then yeah. he goes like i'll put your head through a fucking wall <laughs> i'll put it through a wall and he just fucking go and i'm like oh jesus Christ. <laughs> like it, it manages to do that in a way where okay. after a season family mm-hmm. guy and american dad can't do it that same type of joke right because yeah. they've already gone so far mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. so I, I like the way it's retaining an amount of, of reality all right that sounds good anything to add on this it sounds like it's fairly open and closed in yes. terms of uh, our sample population here what's wrong with you <laughs> I'm going to do Wait, a thing. Can, can we have one of Mark's? Uh, I don't know what yeah. you saw, Mike, but it's not the same show uh, I saw. I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, There's one scene where he's banging a phone off the wall. And that's just like Bill Burr's standard. And I was waiting for something else to, to happen. Because Bill Burr does the, the angry guy, the angry Boston guy so often. Right. But in his stand-up, he tends to get creative. And bring in stuff you didn't expect. There Is wasn't Bill anything Burr in this that I didn't guy expect. With long hair. He's a kind of a ginger. Wait, wait stop. Bald guy with long hair. Yeah. What? Don't understand. Well, bald on top with long hair coming down the bottom. That's Bill Bailey. That's Bill Bailey. Oh, Bailey. Bill Bailey. <laughs> yeah, nice catch, Mark. <laughs> no, Bill Burr is a Boston ginger stand-up comic. Um, okay. With a- anger issues. It's- Okay, I was going to say, he's a Scottish guy, but he's not. He's Never mind, okay, my inability to recognize yeah. people in any shape uh, or form should well, not uh, impede hosting. this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, ginger people generally, it's, it's hard to tell, Scottish, Irish, or just the bin. Anyway, um, Mike, <laughs> Mike, your point was that you really like Bill Burr, and this is a great show. <laughs> I'm. My point was, I really like Bill Burr, and uh, yeah, I'm going to watch you stand up. Fuck this shit. So then, Mike, why don't you tell us, is this... Thriller or filler? I believe it's going to be a filler for Mikey. First filler, filler of the year. I got the first filler. Shit. <laughs> fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. F is for fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heartwarming review from Mike. <laughs> Mark, what about you? Is this filler or filler? You know, contrary to my review, I'm not going to watch any more of it. Not because I don't think it's a good show. Um. But there, there are better shows to watch. I, I would never have found this if I wasn't forced to watch it by the, the list. <laughs> forced to watch it. So, um, resounding with you. By our definition of thriller or filler, it puts it into the filler category for me, but it's not bad. People should have a look and see if they enjoy it. Just for the benefit of the listeners, the crestfallen look on Sean's face is really quite extraordinary right now. <laughs> so I believe Sean, you have a question to ask me. Yes, Sean. What do you think of my hair? I feel like you're you're actually recapturing the essence of your youth via this hairstyle. <laughs> I think it's doing exactly what the magazine said it would do. <laughs> Shona's committing a classic faux pas there, but we're gonna we should move on quickly. Ask him the real question, Shona. <laughs> All right, is this thriller or filler for you? Uh, in the words of the famous boxer Irish Mickey Ireland. <laughs> Yes, Mike left at a joke from the show he just said was shit. I nailed him. I got him right in the balls. Uh, Sucker punch, man. This is a thriller for me. All right, you'll be watching more of this. Yeah, I'm going to finish it. Oh, good stuff. Okay. Um, Happy days. Well, let's move on then to our movie for this week, which is uh, The Hateful Eight. 
the new big one out in the cinema. Who wants to tell us about it? I'll do it. Did the, did this show? Did this movie feature in the news section? Uh, it did a while back. Um, because this when, is when um, the script was leaked. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was wondering about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also topical in news this week. Which. You're putting Sean and through it a lot right now, Mark. It's almost like there is a surprise hotline news item. <laughs> and this just in, I'm sorry, I am being interrupted by my producers to tell me there is news coming in as we speak. Mark, will you update us with this week's news? So, Star Wars has made a lot of money, it seems. Now, you might have thought from listening to us that it was just any old Star Wars movie, but it crossed 700 million domestically in the US and sets 2016 off to a great start. It is the second biggest January weekend of all time. And it is in second place by a scant four and a half million. So there was, there was a couple of films that contributed to that. Uh, we have the top three is Star Wars The Force Awakens, which we've, we've already mentioned. Uh, Daddy's Home which was <clears throat> released, it was timed magnificently. Um, and then there's the film we're going to talk about shortly, The Hateful Eight. So Star Wars The Force Awakens is getting close to Avatar's crown, and it's just 20 million behind Avatar's all-time domestic record mm. of over... Um, actually, I don't have the number for Avatar's record, I'm sorry. It's a terribly really researching news piece. <laughs> but it's within 20 million of Avatar's That's okay, Mark. This was anyway. breaking news, so you're, you're excused for not having mm. all the facts to hand. Yes, you're right. The producer should cue me up a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> we have to talk to him, Shona. I mean, come on, Shona. He's under fire. <laughs> so, so Avatar took uh, 760 million in the US as its lifetime gross. It came out in 2009. Star Wars The Force Awakens sits at the moment on 750, so that's been updated for the, for the rest of the week. So it's, it's now down to just 10 million. So it seems quite likely that it's going to, it's going to exceed that because I would imagine it's got legs for another week or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing that I noticed about uh, the hateful eight was that it, it only fell by 25%. Sorry. Let me start again. Thing that I noticed about daddy's home is that only dropped by 25% in the second week, mm-hmm. which is a really strong hold for any film. Mm-hmm. Films typically drop around 50% week on after their, their opening weekend. So um, that certainly helped making it the January weekend that it was. So it's taken, this is Daddy's Home now, taken 93.6 million and they made it for 50 million. That's amazing. Wow. Mm-hmm. Good job. So those are numbers a production company likes to hear. Mm-hmm. I bet our producer wishes he works for them. <laughs> which would be paramount. Any, any money. <laughs> so slightly uh, less of a, of a good story is... Um, the hit for it. They were expecting it to take about 20 million or more, but it only managed 16.2 in the domestic market. Mm-hmm. It was a limited release though, wasn't it? Well, no, this, that includes the expansion. So there was a, there was an opening weekend was limited, but now it's, it's expanded out to 2,474 theaters. So it's, okay. it's not limited at the moment. Right. But it still has only taken 16.2. So that, that was a kind of an opening weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, its main problem is that next weekend the Revenant is out, okay. and that's in the same wheelhouse genre. Yeah, so it's it's going to come under fire. So you're probably going to see a strong fall off for its takings next weekend, depending on word of mouth. I don't have the data on what the cinema score is, 
but it would probably take a really high cinema score leading to, you know, strong word of mouth for it to, for it to hold. I, I, I don't see it holding because we're soon going to hear our review <laughs> and uh, we get to find out what regular folks like us think of it. Great. So that's the news, Shona. Great, Mark. Back to you in the studio. The, the producer is also handing me another piece of news just in. I don't know if anybody has heard about um, George R. R. Martin's updates on his next book. Oh, no. People hate it. People hate the update. Mike, prepare yourself. <gasps> I'm going to take a breath. He has missed his extended deadline to finish the sixth book, um, which was supposed to be done at Halloween. Okay. He missed the deadline. It was extended until New Year's Day. And then he has updated this week that he has missed his deadline. And in fact, it's going to be several more months before he finishes. And that means that the book, book six will not be out before the next series is out. So what does that entail for the show? I do not know. Yeah, the show is going to move beyond is, the yeah. scope of the books because it literally will have to. But people say that George R. R. Martin has worked with the show. So I think some of the worry might be, is the show going to start spoiling the book for those who prefer to read the book? Hell yeah, it will. Yeah. It oh. has to, or unless it diverts completely. Like, it have to, Well, right? it started last season, didn't it? Diverting. Yeah, so maybe... last season. One of the okay seasons of Game of Thrones. Yeah. What if they released half a season, let them finish the book, and then release the rest? I think that Hollywood would never do that in a million years. <laughs> I think F is for they would fucking kill him. No, I, I, I generally think that it's going to be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, Neil Gaiman left to George R. R. Martin's aid. Mm-hmm. He said, look, this like happens with writers. Mm-hmm. I didn't read his, his full report, but basically yeah. that's he was coming out in his defense. Mm-hmm. You know, the writing happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. George R. R. Martin, you know, I think he said... Yeah. Uh-huh. It happened like this when I was twenty. Like it yeah. happens like this yeah. now. Like it comes and it goes. Mm-hmm. It's writing. It's inspiration. Yeah. And as a writer, I would like to have an amount of sympathy mm-hmm. for him or empathy yeah. for him. But fuck off. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. You have a job to do. Figure out how to do it. Well, hang on, hang on. Just dial it down. Okay, I'm gonna dial it down from eleven Let's slow to ten point five. George Martin. Germ. Germ. It's just one guy. The Game of Thrones machine is like 10,000 people uh-huh. fucking churning out episodes as fast as they fucking can. Yeah. George is just one guy. He's a guy sitting in front of a blank screen. All he has to do is fiddle it up. Mark, just start writing. It's a pretend after deadline. Page after page. Right. It's a yeah. pretend deadline, right? He's sitting there. New Year's Eve going, my book is due tomorrow. <laughs> Give me a beer. And then his, his buddy at the bar nudges him and said, yeah, George, you're going to get fired and then make somebody else write it. <laughs> and then they all laugh and do a shot. Um, like, I think, I think when you started, John, before, before you got all corporate on him, I think you were right. I think there's, there needs to be time for inspiration and sometimes that's hard to force. Um, when you have a great big engine, like you have in a writing studio who have a deadline, then they, they do the best they can in the time they have. Maybe he doesn't want to do that. Maybe he wants to do his best. And he comes up with ideas and goes, you know, that's not my best idea. I can come up with something else. And then he does, you know, long walks or whatever it is that George does. Yeah. And um, I doubt he does long walks. <laughs> probably not, yeah. That, that aside, whatever Spring break in Cancun is coming up. <laughs> it's always coming up. I say leave him to it. The only problem is we know what happened with the Wheel of Time. 
Mm-hmm. What happened, Mark, for people who don't know? Well, two books before the end, Robert Jordan passed, sadly. Mm, yeah. And they had to bring in Brandon Sanderson to write the last two. Mm. And like, don't tell my geek friends, but I think that probably saved the series. Controversial. Because Ro- Robert Jordan is as old as Conan. He's actually 30 years older than Conan. And uh, I don't think he was doing his best work in the books towards the end. What age is George R. R. Martin? What's his survivability prospects to the end of the series? I think he's 76. And if yeah, he takes, so if wonder, he takes like, six years per book, that's not great odds, actually, speaking. <laughs> all, all I'm saying is I worry that what it is is the weight of it has come down on him in such mm. a way that he feels like he can't write. Right. And that's yeah. not the guy I won't write in mm. those books anyway. Mm. Like, he did come up with the story. Mm. The full story. Yeah. That's how all that happens. Didn't he like? Isn't, didn't he famously know the beginning of the story and the end of the story, but he doesn't map out the middle parts. That's so that's fine. what's taking him so long to write. But yeah. he knows where it'll finish. He just doesn't know how to fucking get there. But I think it was like Jordan. That was the way Jordan was as well, because he had a lot of he had extensive notes on the end for Sanderson to write toward. Right. Yeah. And Sanderson just came in and just started killing people and closing down storylines <laughs> that were extraneous left and yeah. right. Let's do the actual... All, all I'm saying is there's no such thing as writer's block. Mm-hmm. That's just what writers say when they don't want to write badly. And right. if George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. is doing that, fair enough. But here's mm-hmm. what you do. You write badly. Mm-hmm. And then You improve. delete that shit yeah. and you write more and you keep fucking going mm-hmm. until you get good, great, <laughs> etc. stuff. Yeah. And if all he's been doing for the past X mm-hmm. years yeah. is writing bad stuff or not writing at all, mm-hmm. what the fuck happened? Unless mm-hmm. it's psychological. Maybe it's just another epic book with like 20,000 mm-hmm. new characters. That would be gross. Yeah. So Maybe you think he needs counseling? Do you think that's the problem? Well, I think everybody does. Mm. But I think any man <laughs> who wrote what he wrote should probably just get in and, and like figure it out anyway. Mm. At this point, the show's going to finish the story without him. Mm. Yeah. He yeah. needs to be okay with that. Because it's going to happen. On his way. Okay. All right. So thank you very much, Mark, for the news with Mark. Our producer says you did a fantastic job. I love that guy. <laughs> we don't pay him enough. <laughs> we definitely don't. Do a raise. Um, okay, let's move on now to our film for the week. The Hateful Eight. In the dead of a Wyoming winter, a bounty hunter and his prisoner find shelter in a cabin currently inhabited by a collection of nefarious characters. Wow, what a summary. That would have been a great place to start the movie. Concise. Thank you, IMDb, for your help there. <laughs> Mark, do you want to give us your uh, He's such overview? a cheating-ass bastard. <laughs> Worse than Wrigley. I find that when you get synopses from IMDb, you do it in two sentences. When we do it, we go, well, there was a, there was a guy, what was his name? And uh, he was that actor guy he met and, uh, I Snow. Have, I actually, I do so, well. Are you criticizing our, our synopses? I'm criticizing my synopses. That's what I would have gone with <laughs> I if, if I was left to my own devices. That's also- so The Hateful Eight's a Tarantino film. I haven't liked the last couple of Tarantino films. I'm not afraid to admit. I was extremely worried about this one. And for an hour, I wanted to eat my own head rather than keep watching it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, remarkably, it starts to find its feet. Now, I need to point out, right, if I was watching this on DVD and not in the cinema because the list made me go, then I would have stopped watching it. Um, 
So that's an issue for me straight away. But it does find its legs. And once it gets going, it becomes a fairly good tale. All right. Um, can I just... Have at it, Sean. All right. Um, so the synopsis that Mark gave from Imdba, mm. if you'll remember, said people arrive at a cabin. The hour that Mark's talking about that was shit before they arrive at the cabin. <laughs> Figure out how to write your fucking movie. It's called The Rule of the Party Guest. I've talked about it before. You arrive late and you leave early. The idea is that you don't give the audience any shit that they don't need. You arrive at the exact moment when the drama is at its highest. In a yep. scene or in a film. In a story. And you start going. There's an hour of this three hour movie. No. At least it's three hours. Yes, it yeah. is. Didn't need to be. Jesus. It didn't need to be. There's so much you can take out of this film. All right, Mike, come at me, bruh. Do you not think it's dramatic to open with a guy walking in snow? It is for a really long time. Mm. Welcome, like along. a really, really such a long time. time. Oh my god. Oh. And then maybe like imagine if there was a statue of Jesus in the foreground. Like to kind of give an impression of maybe his suffering or something. Imagine if some plot happened. Oh. <laughs> and imagine if, imagine if it just kept on going. Imagine How if a cool character would that revealed be? themselves through actions that they took. All right, wow. this is a, lot of a character you couldn't actually see for the first 20 minutes. <laughs> so somebody fill me in here. The Hateful Eight. Who are the eight? What okay. is the eight? So there's a lot of great actors in this, and it's a lot of Tarantino mm. regulars as are well as... Are these people that show up at the cabin? So the people in the cabin, essentially, it's uh, the story of the hangman, John Ruth, mm -hmm. who is played by Kurt Russell. Mm -hmm. Okay. Who's trying to bring... Haven't seen him in a while. Well, we saw him in, in You Death just Proof. haven't been looking in the and right places, Sean. Fast Obviously. 7, or Furious 7, I believe. He, oh, he was in an action movie recently. Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So it's about him, who, uh, true to his name, is trying to bring a woman to hang. Mm -hmm. But there's a blizzard. He needs to take shelter. He allows two people to come onto his, after a lot of talking and making sure they're not trying to kill him, a lot of paranoia, which is definitely a feature of this film. He allows two people to share his carriage all the way to this cabin. Yeah. Those two people are Samuel L. Jackson's character, who is a victorious Union Army general? Major. Major, thank you. Major, I knew I was going to get that wrong. Major. As well as uh, the character that Walton Goggins plays, who is Boyd Crowder, amazing. If only um, Walton Goggins is playing the new sheriff yeah. of the city where this per this lady is going to mm -hmm. go to hang, and no one believes that he's going to be the new sheriff. Yeah. But he's essentially uh, a guy who is a part of a rebel gang, a southern militiaman whose mm -hmm. family were trying to lose with dignity yeah. rather than complete and total surrender. Mm -hmm. They arrive at the cabin. They meet mm -hmm. Tim Roth. Who plays the hangman mm -hmm. who will be going to this place mm -hmm. to hang the person? Mm -hmm. uh, someone who works at the cabin as well, who I didn't recognize. Mm -hmm. um, also. Damien Beecher. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I just pulled that from my brain. Not just from, from your brain? Could you like pull any other folks from your brain, maybe? You might have known <laughs> Michael Madsen. Michael oh, he was, in, he was in Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Yep. And who does Bruce he play? Dern. Who do they all play? Mm -hmm. Well, Mike Madsen plays Joe Gage, mm. and Bruce Dern is General Sandy Smithers. Mm -hmm. And you're, uh, is it Jennifer Jason Lee? Yes. Jen oh, yeah, playing Daisy. Mm -hmm. 
the lady who is to be hanged. Okay. So yeah, the hanging. They all arrive at a cabin. Bear in mind how long it took us to tell you who these fucking people are. Right? Okay. Bear in mind we haven't told you even about their characters oh. yet. Yeah. But they sh- they're all at this yeah. cabin, and John Ruth is worried that mm-hmm. someone's gonna try and either rescue his charge mm-hmm. Daisy, or try and take her from him to get the ten grand that she's worth. And he's like, okay, well, we need to make mm-hmm. deals. Slash, mm-hmm. I'm paranoid about everybody who's here. Mm-hmm. So the stage is basically set by the trailer. Mm. And yet, for some reason, there's 30, 45 minutes before yep. they get to this cabin. Yeah. And the stage is actually mm. set oh, for the plot. Wow. We just get some really, like, mm. some good dialogue, some nice character moments, mm. and some good introduction. Mm. All of which could have been accomplished mm. much more quickly. I'd say the producers, when they saw the, the movie plan, said, We fucking love this. We can make this movie for $50. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. He shot it on 70 millimeter. He shot it on a very specific type of like camera and film, which is usually used for these wide, beautiful locations. Okay. Like, as, as was done, I believe, mm-hmm. I might be wrong, apologies, but as was done, I believe, with, like, Lawrence of Arabia and, mm-hmm. and films of that nature, like, films from back... Mm-hmm than westerns like what he's trying to emulate. And Mike hasn't seen that. He saw a version of it called Lawrence and Her Labia. <laughs> <laughs> so Tarantino, Tarantino, Tarantino was doing this very specific, like using the, you know, and that probably mm. cost more money or was mm. more effort or yada, yada, yada. Mm. Usually that stuff is used for these really wide open spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This takes I believe you can watch it in, building. you have to go, in the States you can see it in that camera footage only, right? You, you can indeed. We didn't have that option here because I, I was aware of that, and uh, I was uh, like, like you just described, like that's it's appealing to watch something in you know in a slightly different way than what we're used to. And mm. um, it's a pity we didn't have that option over here. I don't think they released it that way in Europe at all, did they? I don't think so. But but my point I was trying to make is they used those cameras and lenses and film mm-hmm. to shoot these really wide open mm. spaces, these vistas, yeah. these beautiful things in a really narrow space. No. Mm. No, they mm-hmm. just used it to shoot wide open spaces, which the movie isn't in for all that much. Oh. It's a paranoia story about a bunch of people <laughs> in the cabin who don't know each other. Right. Yes. What are, so what are you doing? It's a wasted tool. Why did you bring your telescope oh. to the theater when you're in the front oh. row? Oh. Well, they, you know, the first 20 minutes of wide open spaces is quite good. I agree. I think Tarantino yeah, is walking. self-indulgent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that It's he... probably the best 20 minutes of a man walking in the snow I've ever seen. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my... It's an incredibly self-indulgent script. And there are problems with it, and no one has told Tarantino <coughs> that he's fucking around, in yeah. my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, okay. Are there any redeeming qualities to this film? Let's talk about what you liked. I'm, I'm sensing a certain amount of hatred here. Only for no, like no, 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 no. No, no, I liked it. No, no, I liked it. Like by the end, I was so into it. Yeah. Like there's um there's a couple of really tense. There's a lot of tense moments in it towards mm-hmm. the end when when it, when it hits the climax, mm-hmm. and I was right on the edge of my seat for those. Mm-hmm. Like, can I just say one comment on Tarantino now? Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to fucking take him aside seriously and have a chat with him mm-hmm. because there's there's elements of George Lucas to him now. Like when George Lucas made the prequels, he could make whatever the fuck he wanted, mm-hmm. so he did. Yeah. And they were shit. Now, this isn't shit, right. but there's a risk if Tarantino isn't reined in a bit, we're going to mm. lose 
a lot of what made him great. Like there needs to be some focus. In like his he's narrative. gone so far in being Tarantino that it's just like he's becoming a caricature of himself. And, and also just some dumb yeah. shit that shouldn't have been in the movie. It should have been ended yeah. out. Right. Yeah, it should have been. You're 100 percent right, well, Sean. Like what, what editor we, is going to stand up and say, you know, Quentin, that was shit. But this is the problem. It was the same thing with George Lucas. Mm -hmm. Somebody should have said, you don't go from being a Jedi to being a Sith Lord in 45 minutes, convincingly. (laughs) Someone should have said that. He said, George, you know, maybe we don't do the pod races in the first film. We start with him when he's a teenager. And then we've got three films from To Turn to the Dark Side. How about that? And he's going, no, man, pod races are cool. Um, and also, we got to get the first CGI character ever in the world on screen. Toys. Misa, sorry. Video games. Um, but uh, Tarantino has similar problems, I think. Uh, like that, that whole first hour was a bit indulgent. Hmm. You can do um, character establishment a lot hmm. better than that. We talked about F is for Family, how they established the main character in that using the credits. Hmm. You know, there was no attempt made to do anything like that. He had no interest in being brief or being to the point. He was happily self-indulgent. Hmm. And it's, it's an issue. The flashes of the Tarantino brilliance do come out later in the film, though. Hmm. Um, and like it kind of pains me to say it because I think that he should be punished for doing all this he should be punished for making it so long but I do think it's worth watching because of the strength of the climax in the back we say one and a half hours it probably does take one and a, an hour and a half to get going so it's like tantric film watching if only mm. if only it felt pleasurable throughout oh. you, we're all Mark, pondering do you that know thought <laughs> I would just I was a long way from orgasm for an hour and a half like <laughs> And is, not is in a good way. Yeah. Not in a good way where it's like, oh no, it's, baby, not yet. In a way where yeah. it's like, do you feel anything? Nah, not really. Is it yeah, in Tantra like you, you hold hold steady on the edge? Like there yeah. was no fucking edge walking oh, with this okay. for the first half. But no, there was a big explosion at the end. So oh, come is, on. is it worth the payoff? <laughs> Me. Okay. Personally, uh, personally, I think it is. I, I, do, I do think it is. I think like Tarantino is a brilliant writer, a brilliant filmmaker, mm. and he has made brilliant films. This one is not brilliant because of how long it takes to get going, but I do think it's worth watching because of how good it gets. So, Mark, in your opinion, the end justifies the means of the film. <laughs> yes, that, indeed it does. That's not sexual innuendo. I just mean, yeah, is it be. worth slogging it through the film? Oh. I think, I think so. In this case, it okay. is, yeah. Sean. Let's talk actors. Okay. Right? That's one of the big things with Tarantino mm. is that he writes these parts for people mm. and he gets the same people a lot of the time and he writes for yeah. them. You know, yeah. not, not a lot of writers get to do that. None of them mm. have the privilege to be able to. Yep. Um, I thought that Walton Goggins was amazing, as I always expected him to be. I really yep. want this movie to be the movie where everyone goes, yeah, we need to put him in all our films mm-hmm. all of the time. Because he's been on the up and up. He was in Django as the guy who played the guy who called Django yeah. Django. Yeah. That was good. He wasn't in it much. Yeah. He was also <laughs> in Lincoln as the guy who was worried about voting a certain way. Very good, but he wasn't in it much. <laughs> but in this, he is center stage for so much of it. Like, and he was my guy, even though, mm-hmm. like, it's like for all these guys, Tarantino likes to either go show them the shiny mm-hmm. apple and then go, actually, this guy's fucking terrible. Yeah. Or be like, look how terrible these guys are. <laughs> yeah, they're so me. Oh, but oh, save the cat. Look yeah. how they're nice. <laughs> Walton Goggins, the bit where you're supposed to think that he's really terrible, mm-hmm. is acted in such a way where I'm like, Actually, no, he's, yeah, no, he's just a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but he was fighting on the side that wanted to oppress people of color, and he's clearly got, like, racist yeah. ideas. No, but the way that he's doing it uh-huh. is making me think that actually he's fine. 
He's mm-hmm. co- he's a good guy. He's a good. He was so yeah. endearing and charming mm-hmm. and great. And he managed, in my opinion, to be different to Boyd Crowder in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He's definitely not as smart, mm-hmm. and he takes so much joy in the minutiae mm-hmm. of fights and stuff. Yeah. Like at a certain point, he's being told what to do, and he realizes mm-hmm. he's not in the shit anymore. Yeah, <laughs> one situation, and he just goes. Well, all right. Like, just, just big <laughs> smile. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, that's what I paid to see. <laughs> Kurt Russell scowls at people and is mm-hmm. fine. Samuel L. Jackson does a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim Roth, amazing. Didn't have much to do. Very I actually good. thought Kurt Russell was really, really good. Mm. I thought he was excellently cast. Him and Jennifer Jason Leigh. They were well cast. Mm-hmm. Really, a really good job, though. I don't I know. Enjo- I enjoyed, like, if it wasn't for Kurt Russell in that first hour, I would have actually succeeded in eating my own head. It's the it's the best mustache I've seen in a long time. Long time. He yeah. was being real, wow. sure. But do you have a mustache like that? But I didn't fucking I, think so. I do. <laughs> I um I thought Tim Roth was great. I thought Michael Madsen did a great job. Um, I thought that the other like J- Jason Jennifer Jason Lee was mm-hmm. also really good. I thought that mm-hmm. pretty much everybody who was in this mm-hmm. at the very worst did a good job. Like I don't mm-hmm. think anybody was was fluffing mm-hmm. anything. I thought it went quite well. But. Character development. Do people change? Meh. Mm. That's okay. It's very mm. much a claustrophobic, yeah. like, a- not even action, because mm. there's not all that much. It's more of a Hitchcocky kind of a thing, isn't it? Do you know what it is? Mm. And uh, Tarantino has said this in interviews. Mm-hmm. Kurt Russell made a movie mm-hmm. set uh, in a blizzard, a snowy place, mm-hmm. full of paranoia, maybe oh. 30 years ago. What was it called? It was... What? What was the name of that thing? But I actually need you to tell me, though. <laughs> the Thing? The Thing. Yeah. This is uh, essentially a remake. Yeah. That's what he said, that this mm-hmm. is, well, I cast Kurt Russell because, you know, mm-hmm. he, was in, he, was, he was in The Thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Like, it's supposed mm-hmm. to be this paranoia-fueled mm-hmm. thing where everyone starts to go, wait, who's mm-hmm. X and what's Y and what yeah. is everyone going to do? Mm-hmm. I never really felt worried. Right. I was interested to see how it was going to shake mm-hmm. out. Yeah. But the plot never made me feel like worried. Now, Mark, mm-hmm. you said you're on the edge of your seat. Maybe you and Mike would agree on that. I don't know which parts. I'm not agreeing with either of you guys. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like first up, I think the plot was kind of weak in the disagreement with Mark. Mm. But I think the acting saved it. I think the acting was better than you think it was, Sean. Oh, the acting was good. No, I'm saying yeah. that everyone in the movie was a good actor yeah. at worst. What that's the thing. I think the acting was so good it saved a shit plot. I was actually despite it like I I've been given out about the long intro. I was actually hooked. I was oh, come drawn on, I was drawn into that carriage in the long snowy forest. That's what the fuck is wrong with you? They left the carriage. No, it's because you were born in Canada. You have a natural <laughs> oh, maybe, predisposition yeah. to watching yeah. snow. And they left the carriage. So why did that matter? And then it it didn't matter because I just wanted. I was just who are these guys? And then when they did that shitty backstory conversation, For everyone in a row. <laughs> Do you remember that time we had dinner in Chattanooga? <laughs> <sighs> That's the kind of shit myself and Steve give out reams about yeah how but, not to write but in this case i just thought okay can i have some more of that please yeah <laughs> and we, I, I, I almost felt like you know somebody locked in a prison like being forced to you know survive <laughs> you enjoyed this feeling <laughs> i don't understand <laughs> it's 
she basically had like Stockholm syndrome of the film. Yeah, yes. yeah, Classic. maybe, maybe. And you know, I could see as it was going on, I could see what he was doing to me. Like Tarantino is totally taking the piss. Is is breaking every fucking rule he thinks about. You know, like uh, like Sean's forever going on about you know, show us through action, not through words. This is fuck action. We're gonna talk this whole fucking movie. <laughs> it did seem like that, right? Didn't it? Um, Tarantino does that. He gets away with it, and sometimes it works really well. Mm. In this movie, I didn't think it did. Mm, dialogue was good, I thought. Dialogue was good, mm. but it doesn't mean that it was always interesting. Like, mm. what, I wanted more things to happen. I'm going to mm-hmm. throw. I'm just going to say one okay. thing, and then I'll shut it up. Right? Yep. There is a scene in this movie that takes four or five minutes, mm-hmm. and it's them hammering uh, metal rods into the snow. Yeah, I liked that scene actually. To form a line so they could thread a rope through it. Yeah. To get to the outhouse. Yeah. Nothing comes of that scene. No character (laughs) is established at any point throughout that scene. It takes a long time. Nothing interesting happens. Mm -hmm. That's bad editing Mm -hmm. and it's bad writing. I agree it could have been dropped, but it drew me into their predicament though. Exactly, because there was a sound of the wind while they were hammering in the spikes. Sound of wind could have been any. You know? All right. So and there seems to be an agreement that there was good acting in the film, plots, bad plots, not great. Until maybe Although Mark 30 was minutes hooked. at the end. Mike is yeah. complaining, but he sounds like he was hooked. And Sean, mm-hmm. were you hooked? It was a good film buried within mm-hmm. a bloated mess. All right. I think, I think it might be time to rate this film. Uh, let's start with Mike. Okay. I think, yeah, I think this movie is going to bomb at the cinema. Because lots of people like Sean are going to come out and say, that was shit, and it was an hour and a half too long. Handsome, smart people. And um, I think it will do very well in on DVD. What's I, your opinion of the film, Mike? One to ten. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> I'll give it a seven. Seven. Sean, I'm coming to you next. Okay, I'll give it a six. A six out of ten. And Mark, what do you think? I'm a little bit torn, but I, I think I actually agree with Mike. Like, I, I do think it's a good film. Just So if any other film had an hour and a half of setup, you know, I, there's no way I'd come out feeling good about it. But I did come out having enjoyed a good chunk of this film. So it, it's a seven. I think the dialogue and the acting is fantastic. The scenes are brilliant. The climax is amazing. Um, it's just too big. And someone needs to take Quentin aside, and I'm the man to do it. <laughs> All right, so we have two sevens, a six, and an offer from Mark to talk to Quentin Tarantino for us. Good stuff, guys. Um, all right, let's move on to the last of our television for the week, then. Uh, new TV show called Billions. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Who put this on the list? I did. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. That's Steve's recommendation. Actually, oh. speaking of the list, mm-hmm. I have a quick question. Yep. Okay. There was a comment on our list up at the top that said, and I quote, what about BBC's new period drama, War and Peace, starts Sunday night? Yeah, was that a joke? I presume so. I assumed it was a joke. <laughs> it, it must be a joke because that was really funny. Because <laughs> I, <laughs> I lolled. <laughs> well, that was a really long book. I presume it's a really long period for, piece as well. For, for people who also... Obviously thought that was a very funny thing to write. What's funny about it? We'll, we'll never review that, right? Well, I, I just assumed there'd be 820 episodes. 
Well, listen, we watched Poldark, and that was a mm. runaway success, and mm. now we have... I didn't watch Poldark. That sounded well, really long and boring. People no. people watched Poldark. No. It was a thing people talked yeah. about. So I was like, listen, maybe War and Peace is going to be mm. the next thing people talk about. Yeah. Maybe there will be Mr. Darcy's running across mm. dewy fields and lacy tops proclaiming their love for people mm. in the peace section, and then in the war yeah. section, maybe there's men with their tops off running around... Mm. Declaring their war for friends? Actually, <laughs> Poldark got voted exactly. best moment in TV for 2015. When, when, he's, when, when he took he's his shirt off. The, yeah. 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 Thankfully, what we reviewed this week was Billions. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a new hour-long drama <laughs> from Showtime starring Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis. Billions is about uh, essentially the conflict between a an assistant district attorney Eternity. <laughs> district <laughs> attorney, played by Paul Giamatti, who mm-hmm. goes after essentially uh, financial criminals, frauds, etc., etc. Right. People in big business mm-hmm. who he knows he can take down mm-hmm. because they're at the end of their careers. Mm-hmm. And he's like, right, I've got a perfect record of 81 and 0 mm-hmm. taking these guys down. Mm-hmm. And Damien Lewis's character, who is one mm-hmm. of these big business guys, yeah. beloved by the people of the neighborhood that he's from in New York. Um, it's essentially about their conflict uh, as invariably they're going to have to go head to head and who's going to come out on top alright what did you think what did I think yeah let me tell you what I thought Mm -hmm. this opens with Paul Giamatti tied up mostly naked and there's a woman standing over him who says this might leave a mark and she stubs out a lit cigarette (gasps) in his chest and then she goes, it looks like that might hurt. And she pisses on it. Oh, my God. Or what Mike calls Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> because she's a, uh, she's a dom and he's a sub. Yeah. Mm. We then go see this submissive guy go out into his, his world, into mm-hmm. his career, into his business, mm-hmm. and slam motherfuckers mm-hmm. all day <laughs> for his own interest mm-hmm. and or to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And then we see... A complete alpha 24-7. <laughs> Big business guys, mm-hmm. uh, including Damien Lewis. Mm-hmm. We see him doing everything he can to help other people. Mm-hmm. But then also, he's really just tra- trying to swing his big mm-hmm. dick around the place. Yeah. This is all done with beautiful dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's plotted in such a way where you know they're going to mm-hmm. come up against each other mm-hmm. from get-go. Sure. And it's teased and it's teased. And you're like, shit, what's mm-hmm. this going to be like? What is this actually? Is this going to be interesting? They're talking about money. Mm-hmm. They're talking about numbers. How is mm-hmm. this going to be? And then it gets, in my opinion, it's mm-hmm. fucking riveting. Mm-hmm. Really? We see, we see both characters in their home lives. We see them at home with their family. Because guess what? That Dom from the beginning, that's Paul Giamatti's character's mm-hmm. wife. And she uh, works for <laughs> Damien Lewis as a therapist. No way! Fuck yeah, she does. She spends her whole day turning these wolves into better wolves so they can go out and make more money <gasps> for Damien Lewis's character. Twist! Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. and it's, they already know that it's, it could at some point be an issue in their lives. And we know it's gonna be. And we get to see Damien Lewis and his wife, uh, played by Malin Ackerman, who's doing a great job. She's also like mm-hmm. from the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's strong as fuck. Her story isn't really getting told yet, but it was just mm-hmm. episode one. And we get to see their home life with their kids. Mm-hmm. And we see 
essentially how Republicans are born. Right. Like, it's really, really interesting. Like, the parenting sequence is, you see their two kids, like a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, or something around like that. And you see one, the younger one manipulate the older and stronger one. And you see them get praised for it. Like, it's so interesting, you Like, know? the parents are training their kids yeah. to manipulate. Yeah. Wow. It's so interesting. And, and the lines that they all draw on the sand, to me, are what's most interesting. Mm-hmm. So, Damien Lewis's character plays a guy who, who all of his friends were in one of the ta- towers mm-hmm. yep. in 9-11. Okay. And so, he's trying to put every one of his buddies... All of their families mm-hmm. trying to take care of them, put, the, put their kids through college, Jesus. pay for their first year minimum, like try and get mm-hmm. up. We see that. That's the mm-hmm. and and it could just be regarded as mm-hmm. oh, saving the cat, make mm-hmm. sure that we like this guy. Yeah. But it's really important to him. Mm-hmm. And what it seems to be is he protects his own, mm-hmm. right, and himself and his family mm-hmm. above all others. Mm-hmm. And then we see Paul Giamatti, who mm-hmm. should be the hero of the story, right. and we see him sell someone he knows down the river because that's the fucking law. Mm-hmm. Huh. We see how he will not mm-hmm. bend, and he's like a holier than thou mm-hmm. type. But not in a way. No, no it's, it's a more mission. Like, yeah, he's mm-hmm. got a mission. Like literally, there's a dude mm-hmm. who comes to him and is just like, "I can't mm-hmm. go to jail. I, yeah. I need a reduced sentence, or I need mm-hmm. like house imprisonment. We want to make mm-hmm. this deal. Come on, right? We can, we can grease the wheels. We can do something. Everyone makes deals, exactly. <laughs> and he talks about how every single time, like in the office, in the building mm-hmm. that they're in, in the room mm-hmm. that they're in, these deals get made all mm-hmm. the time, but not by him. And he will not allow it. He says mm-hmm. at one point in the episode, I'm not mm-hmm. going to let a drug dealer slide. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to let oh, a okay. businessman either. Mm-hmm. Right. No matter who mm-hmm. they bring in the room, no matter what they try and do to manipulate him mm-hmm. or entice him mm-hmm. or intimidate him, no matter what. Yep. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's pretty fucking harsh, dude. Yeah. <laughs> who, whose side are we really on? You know? Interesting. Is it an hour-long drama? It's but literally an hour. It's not forty-five minutes. It's oh, 60. really? Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. So. It's uh. Mike. I'm I'm kind of torn about this, because like Sean Sean's, you know, gone on at length about how brilliant it is. Right. And I would agree with nearly everything he says. You know, the dialogue is brilliant. The acting is brilliant. Mm. Um, the setup is brilliant. Uh, it it drew me in. You know, it's it's almost like a, a a cross between Wall Street and the Untouchables, mm. you know, on steroids. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but and Wall Street was already kind of on steroids. It was, it was. This, this is Gordon Quaaludes, Gordon really. Gecko's bastard off child. It's Wolf of Wall Street almost combined with the up, Departed. Yeah, <laughs> but it's got some real problems as well. Uh, like number one, uh, Damien Lewis's wife. Yeah. She was fine as just Damien Lewis's wife, but then they tried to make her into something else. And I've only seen the fir- first episode, so maybe they correct this later. But in the first episode, it looked like they manufactured a scene to make us think, "Oh, maybe she's tough too," and it just felt fake. I think that. I can only imagine that that's a commentary on her acting from your mm-hmm. perspective. Okay. Because I know the exact scene you're talking about. Yeah. I'm totally on board. Really? She's that, a fucking that, shark. that killed it for me. <laughs> no, no, no. She doesn't care how she yeah. appears. She she's uh-huh. not the figurehead. Yeah. To me, so she comes out at one point. Yeah. There was a there was someone in a meeting who mm-hmm. spoke out of turn, mm-hmm. and she comes right. over to them, another woman, like, uh, mm-hmm. and and she just like starts to talk about what happens. Mm-hmm. No, I understand. I understand. Yeah. And then threatens this woman. Uh-huh. Right. 
but in like in a way where she's all smiles and you're like yeah, what yeah. the fuck yeah, yeah. shark and, in the water and this woman just go yeah. and the woman that just that she's threatening just goes mm-hmm. well are you threatening me mm-hmm. and she just goes you bet your fucking ass i am uh, that's how i was raised yeah. like literally just yeah. i came up i yeah. never thought i'd get here <laughs> now that i am that's how, like if you yeah. come to me with the problem i'll solve yeah. it yeah. but if you go behind my back mm. if you disrespect me or my yeah. husband i will end you and See, I believed for, it. For me, that didn't work at all. Why? I just didn't believe it. Okay. She was too pretty. She oh, did. wow. Oh. Danger, danger. <laughs> so, Mike, was she, it because she was a woman? No, it was because she was a woman who didn't look like she'd ever been in prison. I didn't see any t- tattoos anywhere. Why would she have to be in prison to be tough? Huh? Why would she have to be have been in prison to be tough? Kind of helps. Well, yeah, but but also, <laughs> Damien Lewis was never in prison. Paul Giamatti was never in prison. Yeah. I'm just saying, I'm, like, I, yeah. I totally bought it. I don't yeah. see why. I think that her da- story is going to get told more later, but I believed it. Damien Lewis is much better at carrying across the sociopathic aspects of his character. For me, it looked like the director was telling her, yeah, just, just look scary. And she was trying her best to look scary. It, it was very weak for me. You had an acting problem of some kind. Yeah. She maybe, was your maybe. Kylo Ren. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the other problem I had um, was the setup of the conflict between Damien Lewis and... What's his name again? Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti. That, that, they totally dropped the ball there. Really? Yeah. How? It didn't make any sense to me. I was like, why, why, like, you guys barely know each other, and then all of a sudden, you're in the same room, and boom, we got this big climax thing, that was, it was almost like, uh, what's his name, uh, Anakin Skywalker, mm-hmm. t- turning from Jedi to Sith in 45 minutes, it was, these two characters, it should have been built up the conflict, little by little, but it, they just went from like, uh, I hardly know him. Uh, I've seen him in the newspaper, and then, boom, we're deadly enemies. This is how the rest of the series is going to go. So, yeah, I mean, I did have those problems with, with the show. Mm-hmm. But despite that, I absolutely was gripped from be- beginning to end. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like the acting all around, even the, the supporting cast was brilliant. And, you know, it's it's one of the best shows I've seen in a while. Dude, even the sidekicks, which is yeah. what they were for this episode, because I yeah. think they they wanted to introduce right hand men. Mm-hmm. So, like for example, um, Paul G. Maddy had a right hand man who you will remember from Daredevil. Okay, he played Wesley in Daredevil, and he's one of the yeah. best actors in the show uh-huh. before his exit. And yeah. uh, dude, yeah. that's the guy who was like learning. He was like almost yeah. as good as Paul G. Maddy, but not quite. Yeah. And then you had the financial guy who was mm-hmm. almost as good. Mm-hmm. As Damien Lewis, but not yeah. quite, you know? Yeah. I love those guys. Yeah. The therapy scene, uh-huh. which could have been straight out of Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> Two characters who, the sta- there were no stakes in that scene. No. There was no, no guns, knives, no fuck. Yeah. But I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> this is gross yeah. and cool. Yeah. Like, I loved it. I absolutely uh-huh. loved it. And I think there's more to be done with all those supporting characters mm-hmm. as well. Someone's yeah. going to fuck up. Yeah. Someone's going to succeed. Like, it's yeah. going to be interesting. Um. Yeah, I mean, I... Problems that I mentioned, I think they'll fix them. Oh yeah, and they'll have time and room. Yeah, I, this could end up being a classic series. It reminds me of what I wanted the Sopranos to be, mm-hmm. without ever having to have mobsters firing guns. 
Yeah. Seriously. Oh. It, one of the writers is a guy who has a column. He, so he is the guy who does all the financial talk. Okay. He's the guy. He wrote a book about how everything went wrong with the financial crisis. Right. Like he knows mm-hmm. these people. He, he's he's been the journalist. <laughs> okay. You know? And the fact that there are journalists in the mm-hmm. show who are being moved about as pawns mm-hmm. is no coincidence. Yes, they're, they're totally trash, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Dude, there's a journalist who's who literally shows up and he completely yeah. is like, no, it's off the record. No, whatever you yeah. want, man. Yeah. I'll do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. But buddies, <laughs> 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 Like, holy, wow, yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> what do you think about the sexuality that we're shown at the beginning and the end of the first episode? It would have been really shocking 10 years ago. Yeah. But HBO came along uh-huh. and uh, made that kind of almost normal now. But I guess what I'm saying is, for you, mm-hmm. did it work as like character? Did it work as moments that let you know things? It did, very much so. I loved it. Yeah. Um It'll be it'll be offensive, I'm sure, to a, a certain demographic. Yeah. But if you can get over that, you know, it it works. Mm. It's good. Mm. Yeah, big fan. <laughs> so, thriller filler. This has got to be thriller for me, Mike. This might be my this is my pick of the episode. It could be one of Sean's picks for the year. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm not far behind you. Um, it's definitely a thriller for me. I'll definitely be following this up. So, I mean, with that, I guess we really only have one thing left to do. And that's check out some previews in... Coming to a Bicycle, near you. So, what's our first preview, Sean? I believe our first preview is Zootropolis. Or Zootopia. Zootopia! <laughs> ah, I got that one. It's all in I the zoo. I think it's Zootropolis. Yeah. Is it Zootropolis? I think it might be called Zootopia somewhere else. Ah, okay. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. from the people who made Big Hero 6 mm-hmm. uh, and uh, a host of other animated mm-hmm. films of such a nature, uh, we have essentially what seems like a story about a bunch of animals who wear people mm-hmm. and wear clothes, etc. most yeah. of the time. A lot of talking. A lot of talking, yeah. uh, animal yeah. creatures. Those animals sure can talk. Yeah, but it <laughs> seems like the story of a bunny... The first ever bunny cop. Mm-hmm. And there are really obvious mm-hmm. parallels between bunnies and yeah. women. Mm-hmm. Uh, and about how bunnies can't be cops. <laughs> they're too sensitive. <laughs> and they're too small. And bunnies, I'm a, I'm a rhino person. <laughs> so it, it seems like it's totally about an underdog story. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's some romance as well between a bunny and a fox. Mm-hmm. How unconventional. Yeah. Which is just like what it would be like if one was a cop and one was like a criminal informant. Hey, wait a minute. Wow. Yeah. I never saw that. Yeah. It's like Starsky and Hutch, but yeah. animals. And instead of Starsky yeah. and Hutch, it's a bunny who's a lady. Yeah. And then also sex, sexism. Yeah. And civil servicism. Yeah. <laughs> Those are all slots. There's a lot of high-minded <laughs> ideas being fed to these kids by the lamestream yeah. media. Yeah. Uh, no, but it looks fun. Yeah. There's some fun jokes about naked animals. Yeah. I... D- I was ever to watch this kind of movie, this could be good. But there's not a fucking chance I'm going to watch this. It's a fucking well, cartoon. if it winds up on the list, you'll have to. <laughs> I'm excited about this film. Oh. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but oh. I love it. What makes me fearful is that this will be next year's Lego movie. And you and Steve will be sitting there thinking, oh, this is the best movie of the year. It doesn't look as good it's as the so Lego movie. It's so fucking creative. It, it doesn't look like it's going to break the fourth wall like the Lego movie. 
It doesn't look like it's <laughs> going to be as interesting or as fun uh, with Thrill Rider have as good songs. Well, it's it's missing um, it's missing a catchy theme song for starters. But uh, it looked it looked quite interesting. You know, if you had to go and see a cartoon with with your young child, mm. you could probably do a lot worse than this one. Yeah, there seems to be you know that um, that double double standard humor where they're throwing jokes at the mm. adults as well every so mm. often. Yeah. Like a kid is not going to get why it's hilarious that there's slots working as civil service. <laughs> yeah. But to us, that's a hilarious concept because sometimes it feels that way when you're in a long line. Um, so yeah, I think it's worth a look. I think so too. Yeah, you got kids, bring them. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up. Sorry, sorry, go sorry ahead. Mike, go ahead. Our next preview, A Perfect Day. A Perfect Day. Yeah, this is uh, Balkans, 1995. Some uh, aid workers are uh, stuck near a well, and they need a rope. And to get a rope, they have to uh, not deal with the United Nations, but uh, with the locals. And uh, what could possibly go wrong with that? Stars Benicio del Toro, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, yeah. and uh, Tim Robbins, yeah. and a host of other recognizables. Mm-hmm. And it's about getting rope. Yeah. To get a body out of a well. Yeah. Is it based on a true story? It sounds boring enough to be. It could well be. Yeah. Because there was a lot of bodies down wells oh, in those days. I yeah. was just not interested <laughs> in this movie. Like, it seems like a couple of lads mm. having a couple of ropes, mm. having a laugh. Yeah. But beyond that, I got nothing. Like, I have no reason mm. to root for this movie yet. And I, I, I worry, mm. because of what kind of film it is, mm. it's just going to disappear. Mm. Well... Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon have a long track record of being concerned about things. And I have a great fear this movie is a movie to express their concern about something. We're running out of water, Mike. Yeah. Mm. Do you think that, that the well's a metaphor for that? Could be. Well, that'd be really deep, wouldn't it? Like Mike, just, Mike just pointed at me and winked. <laughs> We've reached peak, peak smugness. Um, so this is not the kind of film that I'd like to watch at all. It it did seem to have a determined interest in making me feel, you know, I don't know, is it pity for the the plight of these people? And mm-hmm. it seemed a bit overbearing in that. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole lot of, oh no, this is terrible, and we have to do something. And those films tend to not get me very interested. So yeah. the trailer didn't either, and I hope we don't have to watch it. Yeah, I agree. I think we're all in agreement. Yeah. Fuck off all, with the boring film. All, all I kept thinking of was uh, Team America with the Federated Actors Guild. <laughs> there you go. Move on. So that leads us to Fifty Shades of Black. Oh my god. A spoof by at least one of the Wayans's on Fifty Shades of Grey. It seems to be trying to make a bunch of race slash sex jokes. And from the trailer. Okay, did you think it was funny? Uh, for about a nanosecond. Yeah, yeah. that's shorter than even a human mm-hmm. giggle gigglewatt can measure. Yeah. <laughs> that's not even a unit. I made it up. <laughs> that dumb joke a, a six-year-old could make is funnier yeah. than this fucking. <sighs> Look, maybe I'm not mm. the target audience, but mm. still, yeah. there was nothing in this. Mm. Like, I'll go back and watch a scary movie. No, there, there was a whole lot of black people in it, and they kept on making jokes about black people. That's, I mean, that's fine. That was hilarious. If they're funny. Yeah, if yeah. they're funny jokes. <laughs> but there's no funny jokes here. It also didn't really even seem mm. to look at the plight mm-hmm. of the, uh, of the kinky mm-hmm. individual mm-hmm. and kink shaming uh, in America and all over the world. Yeah. It wasn't dealing with the issues. 
So mm. they should really take a page out of the Perfect Days book. Yeah. And they, they need to combine those films. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Fifty Shades of Grey is a spoof mm-hmm. yeah. with black people. Yeah. And a movie about needing a bunch mm. of rope. Those already go together. You are a fucking genius, Sean. Do you know that? Sometimes I feel like I should write things. Yeah. I think you should, Sean. I think you should. Um, no, so this is, I, I didn't see enough jokes about Fifty Shades of Grey because there's mm-hmm. plenty of places to poke fun at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know. <laughs> it's, All it's the just, Oscar movies just, already it's enough, like so. Humor, right? It's no trailers to watch. It's like, what's the one about, like, if it was filmed in Tume in Galway, it would be lushing with the budgies in the back of the jammer. There was, um, <laughs> Something like drinking my fifty in the hood or something. It was no, a spoof wait, of. Hold on, um, don't, don't. What is it? Don't start nothing in the hood when you're sipping on your juice. Oh, yeah, something I like know that. The yeah. name of this movie. Why the oh, fuck? It's called classic. Chris Tucker is in it, I believe, and perhaps also Ice Cube. Or tea. <laughs> No, I'm telling you, this is a real thing. And I actually feel like the words are on the tip of somebody's tongue. Mm. Like it's gonna... Just the tip. Don't go around starting something in the hood when you're drinking your juice. There's so many people out there who are cooler than me who are just like yelling at the screen. Why you gotta fuck around? (laughs) Such a shit bag. (laughs) Yes, I guess we're never gonna get it. I guess that's one of those movies, though. Mm Mm-hmm. That uh, we're never going to watch. Even though that one apparently is quite good. Yeah, I'd flip that one on before this. No, Fifty okay. Shades of Black is yeah. just not so on the nose. Oh. It's so just like, get it? Yeah. Do you get it? Yeah. Because if we don't, we're gonna do the same joke. <laughs> yeah. It's sweet. Are all those spook movies a bit shit? Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Don't be a menace. See, there you go. Mm. Phantom Menace. It all mm. comes back around. Yeah. The beginning of the podcast. So I would sooner not watch Fifty Shades of Black if it was up to me. Mm. Me yeah. too. I think we're in agreement. Let's not tell Steve about it because it could have subtitles. Yeah. Oh my, we're just in agreement. It works out. Yeah. It's great. Sean, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> okay. The hills are alive with the sound of music. <laughs> Oh, so that I guess that brings us to the end of the podcast. I guess it would have to. Yeah. Um, if you want to find us, you can find us on YouTube at Is It a Bicycle. You can find us on Twitter. Tweet at us if you disagree with us, which seems very likely given how opinionated we've become over the years. Mm-hmm. You can tweet us at Is It a Bicycle, or drop us an email to podcast at Is It a Bicycle dot com. And uh, just uh, if you miss Steve on this particular episode, you can uh, email us at uh, fuckthatguy at isitabicycle.com. <laughs> now we need to set up a new email address. Jeez. <laughs> well, our producer can do it. I mean, we pay him enough. Thanks, Rashid. Thank you. <laughs> so from Mike, Sean, Shona, and Mark, stay classy. <laughs> <laughs>